Letters from a Glass House is a not-for-profit ministry of the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Venice, Florida. Support us today at UUCOV.org. Poet Jan Richardson wrote this lovely poem called Blessed Are You Who Bear the Light. Blessed are you who bear the light in unbearable times, who testify to its endurance amid the unendurable, who bear witness to its persistence when everything seems in shadow and grief. Blessed are you in whom the light lives, in whom the brightness blazes, your heart a chapel, an altar where in the deepest nights can be seen the fire that shines forth in you, in uncountable faith, in stubborn hope, in love that illuminates every broken thing it finds. Now Hanukkah is about that healing, illuminating, miraculous light the underlying story is very, very simple. Some of you know it better than others. I gave the kids a really simple version. Tracy Rich is a historian, and they write, the story of Hanukkah starts in the reign of Alexander the Great. And most of us have at least heard of Alexander the Great. He conquered Syria and Egypt and Palestine, but allowed the lands under his control to continue observing their own religions and retain a certain degree of autonomy. Rich says, under this relatively benevolent role, many Jews assimilated much of the Hellenistic culture, adopting the language and the customs and the dress of the Greeks. And this is where the problem started, because Judaism started to fracture a little bit. All of a sudden, you had these Hellenistic Jews they were Greek in their dress and in the way they spoke. They were Greek in their habits. Culture is a biggie. So you started to see a divide happening. And more than a century later, Antiochus IV, who was a successor of Alexander, he took control of that region. And Antiochus is what is commonly known as a jerk. <laughs> he was hideous. He started to oppress the Jews. He made sure to find Hellenistic Jews who were priests, so who had Greek manners and Greek customs and who spoke Greek. And he put them in charge of the temples, knowing that they would do things the way he wanted he started massacring Jews. He started prohibiting the practice of the Jewish religion. And then he desecrated the temples. He called for the sacrifice of pigs in the temple, knowing that this was absolutely forbidden. These were filthy animals in that tradition. Two groups came up to oppose Antiochus. You had a nationalistic group led by Mattathias, the Hasmonean, and his son, Judah Maccabee, and a religious traditionalist group. They were the forerunners of the Pharisees. So you've got the social justice folk of the time, and you've got the religious folk of the time, and they joined forces. 
and they revolted against the Hellenistic Jews and the oppression by the Greek government and against Antiochus. And it was like the mouse that roared. The revolution succeeded. They won. My guess is at the time they thought they were going to their deaths when they revolted. But they couldn't do it. They couldn't bear to do what they were being asked to do. And they won. And according to the tradition as recorded in the Talmud, they went to clean out the temple which had been desecrated so badly and to rededicate it. And at the time of the rededication, there was very little oil left that had not been defiled by the Greeks. You can imagine how bad this temple was. They needed oil for the menorah, the, the candelabrum, if you will. Today, we, it looks like a candelabrum, which was supposed to burn throughout the night, every night. Now, at the time, these would have been lamps. These would have been stone vessels or metal vessels with a wick. And you filled them with oil. They needed them to light the temple. It was part of the temple culture. But there was only enough oil for one day that yet, miraculously, it burned for eight days. The time it took to go get a bunch of olives, press them, drain them, bless them, and bring them in to be used, the olive oil. An eight-day festival was declared to commemorate the miracle. So officially, Hanukkah commemorates the miracle of the oil, not the military victory. Jews do not glorify war. So the victory is all about that oil burning. We've heard that story, many of us have. And we've heard basic descriptions of what Hanukkah is. We've seen some of the prayers. I want to talk about a deeper level of meaning to the story, and it's drawn from a more esoteric version of Judaism, a more mystical Jewish thought. Some of you may have heard of Kabbalah, which means to receive. Kabbalah is a set of mystic Jewish teachings. Some people like them, some don't. They look at the relationship between the mysterious, the infinite, and the mortal finite world. They aren't about what you believe. They don't care what you believe. <coughs> it's a set of ways of looking how the finite and the infinite are connected. It's almost like mathematics. Hasidic Judaism says that God is everything and everything is God. You could boil that down to it's all one worldwide, planet-wide, galaxy-wide web. It's all one thing. And they say what we think of as the real world is simply a version of the divine temporarily taking on another form. I've always liked that idea. For some mystics, the goal is to have the spiritual and physical elements of your life as reconciled as possible so that physical life remains a reflection of priceless, infinite reality. 
A mathematics professor I talked to when I, we were talking about this at one point, he said, you're talking about a Mandelbrot set. And at the time I said, a what? And he said, you know, one of those images you see where it gets bigger with each time around. He said, fractal mathematics. And I went, okay, I have no idea what you're talking about. And so he said, get out there and go look up Mandelbrot sets. So I did. And you can do it. You can look up Mandelbrot set. You can look up fractal math. You'll see some very pretty pictures. They're designs where it's the same design each time around, and it gets bigger and bigger. And I said, yeah, that's, that's exactly it. We're talking about as above, so below. We're talking about it's all a reflection so in mystic thought, the temple, the sacred place, represents the point where the ultimate, the eternal, the divine, and the finite are perfectly in balance, perfect mirrors of each other. A study of perfect opposites, each meaningless in and of themselves. Now, it's something odd to hear the divine referred to as absolutely meaningless, but I love this idea. If you've ever seen the yin and yang pictures where you have the black and the white and each one has a circle within them of the opposite color, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about if somebody shines a bright light in your eyes, you get blinded. We're talking about if you look at a sheen of oily black water, it almost seems to glow. The Baal Shem Tov, the rabbi who founded the Hasidic movement, said that the temple was a place of reflective symmetry. And Rabbi Harav Ginsburg explains that it's the result of two inverse elements possessing a hidden reference to one another. Back to that yin and yang idea. So it is with darkness and light, light potentials, possesses the potential to blind with radiance, and dark holds the potential for illumination. So the temple was desecrated. This represents the places in our lives where we're broken off from that web that we're part of. The place where we offend against ourselves by devaluing ourselves or other pieces of creation. This is the place where we forget the value of other humans and deny meaning to other finite creation. When the temple was cleaned and the lamps relit, a miracle occurred. They burned for eight days. Now, did that happen? We have no idea. But for mystics, what matters is that faith and trust were shown. The Jews chose to light the lamps despite the fact there wasn't enough oil. No one ever suggested they lit them and then said, boy, 